Welcome to Small Business Big Network, the podcast for small business owners who want big results from their networking. I'm Liz Drury, a freelance voiceover artist who knows that if you're not working, then networking could help. James Church is the co-founder of Robot Mascot, a company that helps businesses prepare for investment. He's found that by being the speaker at a networking event or conference, then even more people will want to talk to you. Thank you very much for being my guest on the podcast today, James. Yeah, you're very welcome. I'm I'm thrilled to be here. Now, your current business is all about helping business owners to prepare for investment. But first of all, let's talk about your background and how you came to be doing what you're doing. What was what was your first job? My first job. Wow. Um, So, yeah, I I studied graphic design. Mm. So uh, my first job was in a brand and advertising agency doing uh, doing packaging design for Lidl um, supermarket (laughs) (laughs) was one of the main jobs. So, yeah, strange strange journey from there to uh to what I do now which is yeah helping founders raise investment so what was it that sort of drew you to marketing and that sort of field in in the first place um I think the the creative side of it but but there was also a good amount of kind of logic and reasoning and and data behind it as well so it was kind of getting getting your hands dirty doing stuff that was creative but there was also a yeah, there was also kind of a reasoning and a and a strategy behind it as well. So so my my mind is very much sort of fifty percent of one, fifty percent of the other. I mm. love a love a spreadsheet as much as <laughs> I love a, a, a sketch pad. So yeah, that that really appealed to me. So I sort of get get into both sides of it. Yeah, that's probably quite unusual actually. Uh, so many people who are you know creative shy away from the whole you know, spreadsheet kind of thing, don't they? <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that's probably one of my superpowers and why mm. it why it led to the development of of things over over a number of years from sort of pure design into brand strategy into marketing strategy and then into kind of combining all of those things to create a niche product around raising investment Mm. and then starting to through that really starting to understand financial models and spreadsheets and you know uh balance sheets and all of those sorts of things which you know is never something I thought I'd be uh I'd be doing uh, or even interested in quite honestly if if I think about myself back at university or my first job but um yeah such is life you go through these journeys don't you yeah and so at what point in your career did you decide to make the leap and, and and start your own business well I've always always been pretty pretty entrepreneurial um my first rodeo really was at university um mm. I, I was freelancing on the side I, I went and um spent a lot of time hanging out in the uh sort of innovation center that's, mm-hmm. the, that they had at the uni where there was lots of people trying to sort of start their own business from various courses and and was sort of hanging around there and, and started picking up some design jobs doing logos and websites for for those for those students and, and I had a little business doing that mm. Then I got my first job and I was still kind of freelancing on the side. I was doing stuff for the local butcher and, you know, th- those types of jobs. Yeah. And, and then, um, yeah, then over time um, got made redundant from a role and, and kind of that, at least I had the, the freelancing as a bit of a backup. Mm. So so that became my full-time gig. And, and then from there it became, you know, a, a business. Um, and we, we started, my co-founder, or the founder of Robot Mascot that, that I'm with now, we, we co-founded a business together before Robot Mascot called Craft Associates, which was a massive failure, um, <laughs> but learned a lot from it. And mm-hmm. then we came back with Robot Mascot a few years later. So yeah, it's, um, uh, it's always been kind of something I've really enjoyed. And I kind of remember 
going off to university and sort of doing that classic kind of going for a final kind of drink down the pub with my dad before I flew the nest mm. type type thing and and he asked me like what do I really want from life what do I want once I finish this degree mm. and, and I remember sitting there and saying I'd love to have my own agency one day I'd love to have my my own business so I think it's always been something I've I've wanted I don't really know yeah. why it's just always always being sort of yeah something in me that's wanted that yeah so when did robot mascot come about then and and, and how did it come about yeah so it came about it must be about 10 years ago now um and it was founded as I say by my um, business partner um Nick Ruston who's a brand strategist uh, uh expert around branding we'd met um in my first job uh when i was doing those little um packaging mm. designs he was the a brand strategist in that agency uh, and we we kind of got working together on some projects there and uh yeah it was one of those classic moments down the pub um <laughs> he'd he'd recently um been made redundant from an, an agency he was he was at i was at the time employed but doing a bit of freelancing on the side and it was just like look let's He'd been doing Robot Mascot for about 12 months, I think, mm-hmm. at this point. And uh, we made plans for me to join him in the next sort of, six months or so. So sort of 18 months in, I joined him as co-founder and we sort of built it, built it up together from there, really. Yeah. So tell me what Robot Mascot does and, and where did the name come from as well? <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's my, my co-founder you have, to, uh, you have to thank for the name, um, Nick, being the brand guy. Um, so, so Robot we started life as a brand agency, a full mm-hmm. service brand agency, um, focusing on brand communication. And um, Robot was very much uh, a nod to the fact that the type of clients we wanted to attract. We wanted to attract pioneers. We wanted to attract future thinkers. Mm-hmm. We didn't want these sort of stuffy, boring businesses that wanted to do the same as everyone mm-hmm. else. We wanted people to have to, to want to kind of push the boundaries. So, so Robot was a reflection of kind of these future thinkers and innovators that we wanted to attract yeah but obviously we're a service industry and when you think about robots in sci-fi films they tend to be the bad guys they're taking <laughs> over the world all of the stuff around ai right now yeah. and how, how that's going to take over the world that it's got a negative connotation often um and, and we we were very much like the ethos of the brand was always to be the friends and allies to, to business owners and founders going through this journey mm. Um, to be the the biggest fans and the supporters of these of these individuals and and be their guide um, and mascot kind of represented that yeah. you know the, the we're we're their guide we're their biggest fan um, and and so those two things together sort of made a really interesting and unique kind of name and and uh, we ran with it and it's it's been quite quite successful we get um get quite a lot of attention from it yeah yeah i should think it's quite a, a talking point <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean we get asked this question a lot yeah, so uh, yeah sure. it definitely is um <laughs> but yet yeah, in, in answer to the other part of your question it, you know we, as i said we started life as a as a full service kind mm-hmm. of branding agency we were doing um logos websites we were doing tv campaigns we've done some radio campaigns all kinds of things um but a lot of our clients were startups and they were they were looking to raise investment. They mm-hmm. were seeking funding. And because we'd designed their logo, written their website, they asked us to do their pitch decks for yeah. for funding. And we were a startup ourselves and like any any work is good work. Yep. So um, we, we took it on, didn't really know much about it. We'd watched a few episodes of Dragon's Den and kind of figured yeah. how hard can it be. Um, so, so we started putting some pitch decks together and done a lot of research on what was required put them together and, and some of our advisors at the time were angel investors and they said look you, this is really great what you're doing like if, if every pitch that landed in our inbox looked like this it would make our lives so much easier 
you should package this up. You could mm. you could have something really quite quite niche here that you could you could expand. It's a massively growing sector. Like there's huge amounts of money being pumped into sort of tech startups. Mm-hmm. Um, you should you should really look into this. So we spent twelve to eighteen months researching this, interviewing investors, talking to founders who had successfully and unsuccessfully raised, and and tried to figure out exactly what makes a good a good pitch deck, a good uh, a good set of investment materials, kind of what the process looks like and all of those things. And, and that's what ultimately culminated in my book, Investable Entrepreneur, mm. which uh, became a bestseller, mapped out this methodology and this research we created and, and was kind of resulting in our clients being 40 times more likely to raise investment. And, and once that book was launched, we then made the decision to, to sort of do a full pivot from brand agency that did some work on people's mm-hmm. pitch materials to a full investment readiness agency that that focused only on on that so so yeah again it was a bit of a journey yeah it took us about five six years to get to that point from from launching as a full service branding agency to fully pivoting into a, an investment readiness mm-hmm. agency um and there was a good sort of three years where we were sort of doing both and, and we had a foot in both camps and then we made that full pivot over yeah. So who are your clients these days? Are they generally in the tech sector or and, and what kind of size companies do you deal with? Yeah, so it's a real mix. Like I would say probably about 80% of our clients are tech related. They're doing something in tech or with tech or they're leveraging technology in some way. And then the other 20% would be kind of FMCG, like fast moving consumer goods, like mm-hmm. um, food and drink brands, um, hospitality would be another sector, uh, restaurants and that kind of thing. Um, so those type of more consumer brands, um, agencies, um, uh, consultancies, that kind of thing is, is probably the other 20, 30 percent of the uh, of the work. So, um, yeah, and they're all fairly early stage. So so. I don't know uh, your listeners' kind of um, understanding of the terminology in, in fundraising, but you've got kind of three early rounds of investment um, that called pre-seed, seed and series A, um, and that's where we focus. So it's that first round of funding to get the concept off the ground mm. or that second round of funding once you've proved the concept and you need to kind of really establish yourself in the market, and then that third round of funding when you've got that base laid down and you're looking to scale up to the first sort of million or two million in revenue um so it's those first kind of three rounds of investment that we that we focus on yeah now this might sound like a an obvious question or maybe it's not how does a business know when it's ready for for investment yeah so there's a lot of founders out there that that feel like they have a right to investment just because their idea is so great Mm. right and and obviously that's not the case a lot of founders a lot of investors are, are looking for something a bit more established than a concept that you might have had um, and not done much with. Mm-hmm. So generally speaking, for the first round of investment, you would be looking for no more than sort of 250 to 300,000 to um, really establish the product um, mm-hmm. or test the product. So, so you might build a very early version of whatever the, the product is you're building. Um, and then you would test it in the market with some beta testers, some first first customers. Maybe they're paying it for it, maybe they're not, but you're you're kind of testing the market. So so you, as long as you've got enough evidence in place that you've done kind of research, focus groups, surveys, you've really considered the value proposition of the concept. You know who who most you, you've done your research with your target market. You understand exactly what they need to solve their problem. You've you've perhaps put some very simple wireframes together or you've put a brochure together for your service and you've got sort of letters of intent or, or you've got people kind of saying, yes, I'd, I'd love, if this existed, I'd love to mm-hmm. use it. If you've got a 
body of kind of evidence to suggest that this is a goer, this is something the market wants, this is something the market needs, then you can probably raise your first kind of round of investment to kind of kickstart the, the growth. Um, if you just had an idea and you want that money to, to fund your time to go and find all those things out, it's going to be really, really tough for mm. you to, to raise investment. You kind of have to do some of the legwork yourself at your own risk first yeah. before you go and get someone else to risk their cash on you. Yeah. Think of it this way, like, like everyone you're going to ask for investment that's their kids' inheritance that you're asking mm. them to gamble on your idea. Yeah. And and if you feel com- if you feel like you've done enough due diligence on yourself and your own idea to ask someone to risk their kids' inheritance on on your con- on you and your concept, then you're probably ready to go and raise investment. But if you can't sit there and honestly say, I've put enough of my own mm. sort of blood, sweat, and tears into this to justify risking that that individual's um, capital, then then you're probably not ready. Um, to, to go and raise yeah I think that's a, that's a that's a good test <laughs> yeah so how, how do you how do you help your clients what are the sort of services that you offer them yeah so basically we we help a, an individual or a founding team to prepare for the for the investment round so mm-hmm. we're going to need to pull together a a business case documented as like a business plan for the investors to read through and really understand kind of what your strategic plans are in the short and the long term kind of with their money but beyond that like once you've spent all their money what happens next Mm -hmm. um documenting what that then looks like financially as a set of five-year financial forecasts um, and then pulling all of those those things together into a clear concise and articulate pitch deck that that engages the investor gets them to want to take a meeting with you gets them to want to have a conversation with you about the plan that you've put together. Um, so they're, they're the three main things that we do really is, is business plans, financial projections and pitch materials to prepare a founder for investment. And then the final thing is obviously you've got to go find some investors to pitch to. Mm. So we have um, investor outreach services where we can kind of outreach en masse to, to high net worth individuals and, and uh, angel investors and, and such like to, to get your proposition in front of, in front of them. So, so that you've got, um, a big pool of potential investors to go and to go and invest in your idea. Yeah, and so how how successful has this been? How how many companies have you helped now over the years? I mean, we've supported over three thousand founders to, to wow. date, all from all over the world. Um, clients in the UK, Europe, the Middle East, Asia, Africa, Australia, literally all over the world um, have been using our, our services as a as a general average they're 40 times more likely to raise investment than mm. the, than the sort of industry average um when when we look at the data so the approach we use the approach that i've kind of we've researched and i've documented in that in that book um yeah really is really is a game changer it really does make a huge difference to your chances of securing the, the cash you're looking for yeah now you mentioned your book earlier on so mm. let, let's just talk a little bit more about that what, what's the title of it and what will people learn from it yeah, so it's called Investable Entrepreneur, um, How to Convince Investors Your Business is the One to Back. Um, and basically, they're, they're going to learn a six-step strategy to um, position yourself as, as what I call an investable entrepreneur. And I define an investable entrepreneur as, as one of the top few percent of founders who are successfully raising investment. Because it's about a 1% success rate of, of, of businesses end up securing investment. So you need to be in that top 1% mm. um, and you need to position yourself to, to give yourself the best chance of being in that top few percent. And, and that's what this is all about. It's about how to how to use communication skills, how to use business strategy skills to, to really um, 
articulate your your proposition in a way that engages the investor, gets them excited about what you're trying to build, reassures them that you're going to be a trustworthy individual with their capital. You're going to be able to actually execute on what you on what you plan to do. Um, as well as you know, it's not just about a great idea. You, mm-hmm. You've got to back up back that up with a solid strategy. So it's all those things. It's those tactics you need, and it's split into sort of a the the six principles of the perfect pitch. I call them, and, and we take you through those six principles. Lovely. So let's have a chat about about networking now. Then what's mm. what's your approach to to networking? I mean, my approach is very much to never expect a, a client or a sale from from networking. Yeah. <laughs> I've always approached it as a partnership building exercise. Yeah. And if you end up with a client out of it, great. But but I found it's much a much better approach to go into that room, prepare yourself with a really solid, and I would say this, a really solid kind of 30-second pitch that, that sparks interest, gives you credibility, sets sets the scene for, for your for your business, and then and then just let them talk and, and talk about partnerships, you know, how can we help each other? What can I yeah. do to what can I do to, to support you? How can we collaborate in some way? And and that's where the the magic happens because then you, you end up with a long-term partner who gives you access to their client base or whatever and you can cross fertilize those you know I've, i spent every month we try to do an event with one of our partners mm-hmm. where we do a joint event and our event swap so we'll do an event to our audience that hosts them and they'll yeah. do one to their audience that hosts us and we, we're just constantly swapping leads swapping swapping contacts through through doing those sorts of activities and, and that's how we grew our business in the in the early years before we had budgets for Facebook ads and all of that kind yeah. of uh, fancy stuff um, it was all just partnerships partnership partnerships leverage leverage other people's brands to benefit your own uh, and and do that kind of swapping of content swapping of events swapping of ideas and and individuals and, and referrals and all of that stuff um, was much more much more successful than hunting down clients from a networking perspective. Yeah. And so what kind of networking events did, did you go to, to 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 find those partners? All sorts, all sorts of events. So there would be, I mean, sort of it, certainly in our industry, there's a lot of free pitch events where founders are pitching their their ideas. So I do, I would go to a lot of those and start talking to, to various individuals Um once the book got got launched, it became much easier to be a speaker at those events mm. or or on a panel at those events, and that that completely changed the game because everyone wants to speak to the person on the stage. So so then you got queues of people wanting to wanting to speak to you afterwards. But um, yeah, it was mainly those sorts of events. It was it was kind of conferences. Um, it's less uh, less success with those sort of formal. I'm not going to drop any names, but those formal kind of membership mm-hmm. type networking events when you all go for a breakfast meeting in in the morning and 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 kind of it's the same people every week and and you know I've had less success with those if I'm mm-hmm. honest and had more success with going to just industry events and chatting with people and then following up afterwards and sort of taking it out of the room. Um, that that was certainly the, the what worked for us. Yeah. And I think you're right about, you know, if you could, you can be the speaker, um, you know, that, that, that's, that's a great way to, to get people to want, to want to talk to you afterwards, isn't it? How, how do you go about, um, I mean, obviously you, you've got your, your book that you can talk about. Are there any sort of other hints and tips you can give to people about how to be the speaker in the room? Yeah. Um, I mean, personal brand is very much a big part of it. So having doesn't need to be a book but it could be you know 
regular posting of content on LinkedIn or on a blog, thought leadership. Um, then we've co I've come up with a really sort of useful and speedy way of kind of um, uh, getting this content out. Like I, I write a every couple of weeks, I do two three minute YouTube videos. So mm -hmm. I script them out. It takes maybe an hour to script out a three minute video on a subject and it, usually this is inspired by a couple of conversations I'll have had with a client mm. or a prospect at some point during the week and I was like everyone should know that yeah. um, so then I'll write a three minute YouTube video script I'll record it on my laptop just talking head video yeah. send the script and the video off to a copywriter who will then transcribe that and turn it into a full blog post um, and then send that off to a social media kind of a freelancer who would split that up into you know turn the video and the content into five social media posts yeah. and, and then that just goes out every every week so so you do three minutes work and you send it off to different individuals you end up with a blog post and a whole week's worth of social content and you post that out onto your onto your LinkedIn or, or whatever and, and you just do that regularly and consistently and I've been doing it now for probably three four years and, mm -hmm. and you slowly build up you know I've built up from a few thousand followers on LinkedIn to, to almost 10,000 followers now mm. and, and it just keeps growing and growing and growing and it's just that snowball effect so, so being that thought leader and thinking about and the best way to do that I find is is to have th sort of two or three kind of categories that are big big categories that you kind of position yourself to care about mm. so so for me for example it would be um, how to convince investors your business is the one to back. If it's anything to do with that, I can write about it. Anything yeah. about great ideas, not raising investment or, or communication and, and, and how we how we talk. Um, and they're like my three lanes. And I can talk about any of those things in any different way. And and that gives me kind of a, a bit of a, a focus on, on what goes out there. And also never talk about your service or your offer. Mm -hmm. Just just talk about, give advice, give tips. Give yeah. To give useful information and then you build that personal brand and then you've got something to go out and say look I've got all this content I've got these three or do a speaker page I've got a speaker page with three or four different talking topics of like these are my go-to talks and they're the same every time mm -hmm. and these are what you can book me for basically so I can go and approach an event and say look do you want to give me a talk do you want me to do a talk here's four subjects I could speak on which one do you do you want and I'm yeah. not having to reinvent the wheel every yeah. single time it's just kind of repeat that same message until you're sick of it I've been in the same pitch now for about four or five years and and I'm sick of it but every time someone else um uh hears it it's brand new to them and yeah. they're excited by it it's a bit like Coldplay right they must be sick of singing yellow by yes. now like they could couldn't care less they really don't want to sing that anymore um but you, you just have these things you become known for and it just snowballs over time yeah Absolutely. So before I, before I let you go, I understand that you've got um, an offer for our audience. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So look, if anyone's thinking of, of raising investment or wants to explore what that might look like um, for them and their business, if they go to pitchready.co.uk, they can take a short quiz. It's a mm -hmm. it takes sort of less than five minutes or three to four minutes. Um, and from that, they'll get a 12 page tailored report on their investment readiness with with hints and tips on what to, to improve to make themselves more investor ready. 
Um, and they'll also get access to a free copy of my book, which they can receive in the post or they can download a copy or access an audio book all for free. Um, and they'll also get invited to a 90 minute fundraising strategy session that I run every week, a group based session where they can really sort of dive deep into into how to how to raise investment. So, yeah, all, all of that just by going to pitchready.co.uk. Fantastic. And if people want to connect with you personally, what's the best way for them to do that? LinkedIn is probably the the, the where, where I hang out most, but I do post regularly on, on all the main ones, Twitter, Instagram, link, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook. But yeah, LinkedIn is where I, I hang out most. So that's probably the best place to get me. Lovely. Well, thank you ever so much for being my guest. That's been really insightful and uh, the best of luck with your next speaking slot. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, Liz. It's been, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to Small Business Big Network. If you found this podcast useful, please do rate, review and subscribe. And don't forget to share it with the rest of your network too.